The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Please go to the Good Grief host page, and there are links there to connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and I've also started a new Pinterest page, finally figured out what that was, and uh, there you can find all my guests on one, on one of the pages and um, ins- inspirational grief quotes and resources. Uh, I've really been receiving so many amazing ideas for show guests from all of you out there, and I want you to know how exciting that is. I could never, ever find on my own every amazing person you've sent my way, and I'm very grateful. It's also left me a little in awe to notice where the listeners are globally. This month, we've had listeners all across the globe, including Australia, Russia, and the Philippines. The conversation about grief and its sorrow and possibility is absolutely worldwide. Today, I'm here with Rachel Naomi Remen, MD. Rachel is Clinical Professor of Family and Community Medicine at UCSF School of Medicine and Founder and Director of the Institute for the Study of Health and Illness at Commonweal. She's one of the best-known early pioneers of holistic and integrative medicine. As a medical educator, therapist, and teacher, Dr. Emman has enabled many thousands of physicians to practice medicine from the heart and thousands of patients to remember their power to heal. Her groundbreaking curriculum for medical students, The Healer's Art, is taught in nearly half, that's staggering, of Americans' medical schools and seven countries abroad. A master storyteller and observer of life, her best-selling books, Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessings, have sold more than a million copies and are translated into 23 languages. Dr. Remen has had Crohn's disease for more than 60 years, and her work is a unique blend of the wisdom, strength, and viewpoints of both doctor and patient. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. I want to tell you uh, the story of why I'm so very, very overjoyed to have you here today. Um, As you might have seen and and my listeners know my first wife died of multiple myeloma, uh, a blood cancer. She was sick for 10 years. And um, there's, a, there's a funny thing about the story, which is that I thought I had seen you speak while she was still alive. And then I was preparing for the show and realized it was act- actually after she had died. Uh, you, were, you were talking at a Cancer as a Turning Point conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was there to participate as a caregiver and also as a therapist. My training overlapped with her illness. Uh, they're, they're indistinguishable from one another. Um, this would have been in, in 1996 when your Kitchen Table Wisdom book first came out. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you that listening to your stories when you spoke, uh, especially the story about uh, being in the hospital, was like being, um, being drenched in um, soothing salve. Um, I, it, it meant so much to me, and it has stuck with me all these years. And um, uh, I didn't remember this, but apparently I waited in line and you signed my book <laughs> for Cheryl Blessings. So you've blessed me all these years, and I'm so happy to be speaking with you. I'm so touched by that. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, I wonder, I mean, it's kind of um, diving in, but I wonder if perhaps uh, the story you told was about your surgery and the the open wound. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if maybe you would share that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is a, um, a story about you know, some of the deep grief that I have experienced um, in my 60-year history of uh, Crohn's disease. You know, I was first diagnosed when I was 15 years old. Mm. And um, in the 60 years since then, I've had major surgery eight times. And this story happened at the time of my first surgery when I was 27 years old. And I was a single, young, unmarried woman. And in the surgery, most of my intestine was removed. Hmm. And I was left with something called an ileostomy, which um, is basically an appliance that was attached to my abdomen. Um, And this is essentially a bag which collects my stomach juices. Mm -hmm. And I empty it several times a day, and I change it twice a week. I've been doing that, excuse me, for for the past 50 years. Uh, and this surgery is rather common now, ileostomy surgery. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, it was radical. E- even, you know, Cheryl, experimental. Sure. And it caused a great deal of excitement in the hospital. And in the week that I was in the hospital recovering from the surgery, I must have been visited by every member of the surgery department. Oh, how and overwhelming. Of course, <laughs> they were not visiting me. They were visiting my incision. They were coming to see for themselves that I had survived what was a 10-hour surgery. So this surgery unquestionably, unquestionably, it saved my life. But there was only one problem with it. I felt maimed by it. I was, you know, after all, a single young woman. I felt separated from anything elegant or feminine. And I felt that I could not live with this radical change in my body, this loss was too great for me to to be able to live with it. And I became profoundly depressed. I began thinking about suicide. Now, you have odd thoughts at a time like this. I was a young doctor at the time. In this very hospital, this was my hospital, I didn't want to embarrass any of my colleagues by committing suicide on their watch. So I began saving with the pills that were left for me to take at the bedside table. Sleeping pills, pain pills, I didn't take any of them. I just saved them all with the plan 
that I would go home and commit suicide so as not to embarrass anybody. Mm. Now, in the week that I was in the hospital, many, many people visited me. No one noticed that I was in grief. No one noticed how profoundly depressed I was by this loss. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it remarkable? (laughs) And among the people who visited me every day, there was a group of other professionals besides the surgeons. They were called entrostomal therapists. They were people who were experts in the care of the ileostomy appliance, the bag. Because I couldn't change my appliance every day yet. I didn't know how to do it. So they would come every day to do this for me. And they also happened to be young women, exactly my age. So they would come into my room wearing their white coats every day. And they would put on a gown, a mask, an apron, and gloves over their white coats. And they would remove my old appliance, replace it with a fresh one. And then they would take off the gloves, the apron, the mask, the gown, and go to the sink in my room and carefully wash their hands. So, of course, this wasn't helping me accept the radical changes in my body. This humiliated me and made me feel ashamed. And towards the end of the week, though, a woman I'd never seen before came to do this for me. She wasn't wearing a white coat. She looked like she was about to go out on a date. She was wearing heels and stockings and a twin set. (laughs) What a refreshing change, huh? (laughs) Very different. And I should have realized that uh, something new was going to happen because she asked um, my permission to change my appliance. And then she went to the sink and washed her hands before she touched me. And so she then came to to the bedside, and I'm lying there wearing this outrageous, frilly, black lace nightgown full of ribbons and bows, and she looks at me lying there in this froth of of black lace, and she, she says to me, fabulous, where did you get it? (laughs) And of course, it had been given to me by friends who knew how depressed I was, and how unfeminine I felt, and they were trying to help me. And so I told her this, and she said, it turned out, you know, that, that she was newly engaged to a young man who had a weakness for black lace. <laughs> so we began giggling about young men and, and, and their weaknesses for black lace and other things, and as we're talking and giggling together like two young women, Very casually, she reaches into the drawer by my bedside, pulls out a fresh appliance, removes my old appliance, replaces it with a new appliance, using her bare hands. And I was stunned. Stunned. I'll bet. As a young doctor, uh, the first thought that went through my mind was how unprofessional. But as she continued to talk to me, I began to watch her hands. And... They were soft, and she had pink nail polish on. No professional woman in those days wore nail polish. And she was standing so close to me, I could smell her perfume. And no professional woman wore perfume either. I myself didn't even wear makeup as a young doctor. And suddenly, I felt a rush of such strength come up in me from some deep place inside, and I knew I was going to be able to do this thing. I was not going, it was not going to be easy, but 
but I could find a way to make even this all right. Now, she healed a big part of my grief, not because she was an expert, but simply because she was able to touch me, willing to touch me, to be there with me, and to to see me as a full human being, even in my vulnerability and in my loss. And, you know, she didn't give me back my intestine. Medical science can't do that today. Right. What she gave me back was my life. My life. And, you know, we think when someone is in grief, we have to fix the grief. We have to try and restore the loss. The loss cannot be restored. What's restored is the wholeness of the person who has received the loss. Yes. And for me, this, she literally saved my life. And, you know, I don't even know her name. I'm sure she doesn't remember the 15 minutes she was with me, you know, 45 years ago. She has no idea the effect she's had on my life. We have all saved the lives of many people without knowing. There, there was one place in your book where you were talking about the, um, the person who, I guess the saint, who was asked, you know, how, how the gifts would be bestowed and, and said, I don't want to know the effect and uh, his I shadow was made of a healing yeah. force that created um, beauty and healing behind him. That's that's her, isn't it? She is she has no her. idea. It's all of us. It's all of us. We are all healers. We all heal the, the grief and loss of other people without ever knowing. And when we realize we can do this, we can do it much more effectively. Yes, and when we're not afraid to to touch. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm hearing that word touch in a much deeper context than the physical touch she offered you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she touched you heart to heart. She did, and you know, part of this is she didn't think that it was up to her to fix the loss. The loss is not fixable. And most of us back away from people in times of loss because we say, what could I do? I can't fix this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And all we have to do is be there and care and listen. And see the person as still in some uh, aspect whole. Yes. (laughs) You know, I mean, in in the only aspect, they're filled with something, but they're the glass. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) They're, They're filled with the loss, but they're what contains it, not the loss. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah, go ahead. I, 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 I wonder, um, I, I've been also drenched in your books in getting ready for today, which has been quite marvelous. Um, so I've read uh, My Grandfather's Blessings. And I wonder if in some way that relationship um, made you made some part of you able to take that in because I do think sometimes we ignore our angels <laughs> you know but you got it right you know she changed you right then and I wonder if you um, imagine that maybe you had a part of you that could could receive it um, you know what I what I think though uh, I, I tell this story to the medical students all the time because they think that all that they offer people, all that has a value, 
for people is their expertise. Mm-hmm. And their humanity, of course, has much more value than that for, for in terms of healing. Their expertise for sure. is about, of course, curing. But um, uh, one of the students actually said to me, do you suppose she was an angel? And I said, what do you mean? He says, did you ever see her again in the hospital? I said, no. He says, how big was the hospital? And in those days, this is Stanford. It was not that big a hospital. You all ate in the same place. Mm-hmm. I said, I never saw her again. And, she, and he said, seven years you were in the hospital after that? I said, yes. He said, I think she was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't doubt it. I'm spending a lot of time at UCSF right now. My mother's mm-hmm. quite ill. And there are people we encounter that I look at them and I say, inside, to myself, you're an angel. Uh, because the way that people relate to you when you're ill or helping someone ill, um, it's it's um, water in the desert or it's... Uh, you know, many miles to go. There's not much in between. Um, so, I, you know, I know that experience of, uh, of encountering, whether they're human or angelic, angels, and, and being deeply affected by them. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. most people know what their real power to make a difference in the life of people is about. Um, yeah, we think, underestimate yeah. that, don't we? Yeah, tremendous. Tremendous. We don't, tremendous. We don't realize that our love matters. Absolutely, yeah. and and that's that's I think one of your one of your big teaching, love and story, um, you know it it impacts stories people's stories true deep stories impact us too, mm-hmm. um, and have that same same power I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's time for our first break. Uh, listeners, you can go to goodgrief at voiceamerica.com to find links to my work and all the previous Good Grief shows. This is a show that's a conversation between all of you, myself, and my guests. Please share your part of the talk with me. And to find out more about Rachel Naomi Remen, MD, you can go to rachelremen.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. And yes, you can go to my website, www.weatheringgrief.com to subscribe to my newsletter to receive information about upcoming shows and other things I'm doing and to learn more about my work. Today I'm talking with Rachel Naomi Remen, physician, healer, educator, and storyteller. And Rachel, in the break we were talking about the aspects of grief and you were saying that, um, that you were quite angry uh, when that was happening, and you didn't think maybe people know that that's an aspect of grief. I, I guess I would um, would agree with that. You know that sometimes when people feel angry, they think something's wrong, <laughs> and really it's such a natural part. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Kula Ross uh, talked about stages of grief. He talks about the first stage being denial and feeling separated from everybody, and the second being anger, and the third being a bargaining kind of thing, and the fourth being depression, and the fifth being a kind of an acceptance and reconnection of the loss. Mm-hmm. And grief can look like any of that. You don't go through these stages. It's something You skip over stages. I and it's was enraged, Cheryl, enraged for 12, 15 years. I hated all the well people. I was a 15-year-old when I got sick. I was enraged. And, I, I mean, I had no idea that I was grieving a loss. Uh-huh. No uh-huh. idea. You just thought you were real mad. <laughs> I, just, I just saw the world as a victim. I was a victim and everyone else was happy and I had been cut out of life and I was enraged. And I had absolutely no idea that, one, my anger was grieving my loss, and two, that my anger was the other side, the flip side of my will to live and to resist the changes and the limitations that I thought my loss placed on me. That really resonates with me. I had a, I had a client who was uh, in, um, she had liver metastases, um, and she was quite disabled, and I actually met with her at her house for two years. And I would come in um, and kind of take her temperature, <laughs> you know, and... 
some days I would come in and she would say, I'm so pissed off today. And I'd say, you must, be ha- you must have more energy, <laughs> you know, um, because it was her life force. It was her um, capacity to still be engaged. I considered it very good news. And those were the times when we could really talk about all the losses she was experiencing. So um, I, I've had that, um, uh, certainly that experience with her and myself, too, in times of loss, that there's just something that rails against the loss. Mm-hmm. 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 And do you imagine that if someone had actually, if there had been a way for someone to speak with you about it, would it have helped, do you think? Oh, yeah, that's a part of grieving. You've lost that's something. So wonderful. Um, you know, I really don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I think I needed to be angry. I was an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw my illness as an authority figure. It was telling me how to live and what I could and couldn't do. And I responded to it like I responded to authority. Mm. And I think I, I had to do that. It's part of the natural process, and I had to do that. I, it would be nice if I didn't have to do it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I meant, not that you wouldn't yeah. do it at all. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it would have helped me uh, you know, to, to, to sort of not do this for 15 years. That's a, that's a, that's a bit of a, a long time. Yes. And then on the other hand, there's, there, uh, you know, I'm thinking about my wife's illness, 10 years, long time. To live next to not just illness but disability because her cancer destroys bones and, you know. And um, there was something that I feel, I feel I was prepared when she died in a way I couldn't have been at two, three, four, five, six, any of the other years. I think that's uh, absolutely right. I think so, the hardest deaths of all are the deaths that happen unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Somebody leaves the house to go to work and they never come back. Yes. Because, you know, there's an accident, or so, and you can never say goodbye, you can never get ready. I think these are the hardest of the losses to grieve. I, I agree. I've had that experience with my father, so I know there's just such a difference in the way um, a soul responds to those two experiences. Mm-hmm. If you're actually... I mean, we were doing a lot of work to prepare because it was a terminal diagnosis from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that did favor um, a kind of readiness developing. I'm not sure that that's always true, but it uh, sure was for, for us. Well, I'll say something very odd, Cheryl. If the, the, what, what you describe with your first wife, um, it's almost like she heals you of the loss before she dies. That that business of being able to talk to people about it, to cry together about it, if, if you're able to do that, all of that, the person who can heal you of your loss the best, I think, is not the therapist. It's the person who is leaving. That uh, yes. person can absolve you and give you permission and tell you that you're loved and all of these things enable you to deal better when they are actually gone. So, so, so true. Uh, a chaplain came to see us once, and um, she said, who is your spiritual teacher? Uh, and, and she turned to me and she said, I'll be yours if you'll be mine. <laughs> oh. 
that's exactly it. And the generous things she said to me about loving again when she was gone. And, you know, uh, yes, she prepared me very well by being very uh, willing to be head on about it and and really go through it together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Quite a blessing. The grieving actually starts with the person who is going to be leaving, as it were, are participating in it. And when, you, when you're able to do that, it, it goes much easier, I think. I, I, I absolutely yeah. agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've said things like that many times. Yeah. I, I want to switch a little bit because... Um, you know, reading your books and and your blog and your um, seeing what you're doing in the world today, um, this sense of of how important stories are oh, is yeah. everywhere in it. And of course, we're participating in that. I'm listening to your stories. You're listening to mine, and the listeners are listening to us. And I know that you are. Um, that's become very central for you. And I wonder if you'd like to. Talk about that some and tell people what you've got coming up because I just think it's so exciting. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, you know, I, I love to read stories to people and to, to talk about how they touch us and, and the ways that they help us to live. And I especially love to read the stories that, that, that are in the books. And um, about um, oh, December, I, I did a story, a story reading, um, a teleconference, in which I read stories about dark times and how people find the light in the darkness in dark times. And uh, I did it mostly because I, I loved doing it, and people also loved hearing it. And we got to talk about the stories. So I am going to do a series of teleconferences, one for pretty much almost all the big holidays, uh, I want to read stories about the different kinds of love on Valentine's Day. And for July 4th, the first of these teleconferences, I'm going to read stories about how we become free, the many ways we free ourselves to become who we genuinely are. We'll be doing that on July 8th, Pacific, and Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time, 5 to 6.30 p.m. So people can just join um, they can find out how to join by going to my website. This is absolutely free, rachelremen.com, and looking for the free teleconference. Um, I, and we, we're going to get to talk about these stories. And I really look forward. I love doing this. I think most of us don't get people don't get people to read out loud to us. And I miss having someone read me stories at bedtime. And I love yes. having people read out loud to me, and I want to read out loud to people and just share the experience with them. So that's I, I, July 8th, 5 to 6.30 p.m., um, Pacific Standard Time, and you can just, and if you sign up and you can't come, uh, you'll get a download of it free. So uh, either way, you can't lose. <laughs> so fantastic. I know you brought a story. Uh, I don't know exactly how long it is, but maybe we could, um, you could read that now. Um, let me say a word or two about it, and then you'll, you can tell me whether or not I need to read it before or after the break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last stage of um, uh, grieving, according to Kubler-Ross, and also in, in life 
it, it's typically called acceptance. Acceptance. You get to the place where you realize that you, you're living in a, a new world now. The loss is now part of your real world, and you go on and you, you build a life and you keep your loss in your heart as a memory, right? But I always call this stage um, acceptance and reconnection. Reconnection. Because what happens is the pain of the loss turns into love. All you're left with is the love, basically. And you've got that forever. And the kind of love it turns into is often service. Wanting to help other people who are in pain. Wanting to make a difference in the world. So perhaps the final stage of healing is when you become so connected through the common experience of grief and loss that you want, you welcome the world into your heart and you want to help others. And my story is about this happening to a very, very unlikely man. And I'm wondering, I think it would take me probably about uh, four minutes, five minutes to, to read it to you. It's not in any of the books. It's brand new. So you can totally tell me if fine. I should start or not. Let's, let's yeah. listen to that. Okay. So I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Y- yes, you have enough time. Oh, Absolutely. good. Okay, so the story is called Let There Be Light. And I'm going to actually read it. In the process of recovering from kidney cancer, one of my patients underwent a transformation from a hard-driving CEO to a volunteer and a supporter of many good causes. He told me of the experience which had changed his way of moving through the world. As a child of of atheistic and and intellectual parents, he had no religious upbringing or spiritual inclination, and he had immersed himself in the world of competition and business with much success. While formerly his business had been the focus of his life, now his cancer and its treatment required him to be away from the multitasking (laughs) demands and pressures of his work, and instead to spend several months in the silence and quiet of his own living room. At first, this had been frightening and deeply disorienting. But then, as the fatigue of his chemotherapy took hold, he had simply surrendered to the silence and the loneliness and spent hours on his couch dozing in the company of his cat. One afternoon, as he lay um, drifting in and out of sleep, He found himself looking at a bookshelf on the opposite wall, and it seemed to him that one of the books stood out from the others in a very odd way. Getting up for a closer look, he saw it was the very same Bible that the clergy who had performed his marriage years ago had given to him and his wife. Taking it back to the couch, he opened it for the first time and started to read the story of the beginning of the world. He was surprised to feel a deep response to the simple words, how real and familiar and terrifying the formlessness and darkness felt to him, and how it seemed to be somehow connected to the terrible recent events in his own life. And then he encountered the statement with which the world begins, let there be light. He lay there for a time feeling the great power in these four words wash over him. As he ruminated about this, the words suddenly shifted their meaning, 
And he realized that they were addressed to him personally, that he personally was able to choose and act in ways, to act in ways that increased the light in the world. He had never considered this possibility before, but over the next days and weeks, it became a more and more compelling thought until he recognized it as a deep yearning in himself to live in a certain way, that perhaps the purpose of life was not to become wealthy or succeed in business or to leave a financial inheritance to his children as he had thought. Perhaps the real purpose in life is to bring more light into the world. Perhaps this was the inheritance that he could leave for his children. And I, I was, he just walked into my office and told me this story. <laughs> just like that. Was it, and, was it um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening and I have tears in my eyes. I, 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 uh, I have tears in my eyes just reading the story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've, seen, I've so... seen this as a grief counselor also, I'm sure. Oh, that people absolutely. people step into a larger self, not a diminished self from the loss. That the and... loss opens a door to a larger way of being. And that happens a lot. And that's that's just so unadvertised, isn't it? I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's part of why. That's sort. Of, I guess that's the deep reason why uh, this. What I'm doing with this show matters to me because that took me entirely by surprise that mm-hmm. I might suffer a terrible loss, and as a human being, actually be better off. Or let's put it this way: one of the ways that we respond. To loss is to grow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or there's a whole field now whole. called yes. post-traumatic growth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you don't, uh, you don't hear about that. Uh, there are references to it a little bit when someone does something uh, awe-inspiring after a loss, mm-hmm. but it's more like, wow, I wonder how they can do that. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. connection that they experience um, if it's allowed, actually, naturally leads there. It's common. I have very common. Common, yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps us to learn to live better, and yes. also to love better, to appreciate the love that's been given, and and want a better life for other people as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's time for our second break. In these few minutes, everybody, be sure to go to the host page, goodgriefatvoiceamerica.com or my website. I'm a therapist. I'm a grief counselor, consultant, and speaker, so please be in touch. To reach Dr. Remen, go to rachelremen.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I want to thank you once again for being here today. There have been lots of listeners in this first six months, and I've spent incredible time every week with amazing people, such as my guest today. Um, It's just far exceeded any expectation I had when I started. I wanted to let listeners know um, which shows have been listened to the most, not because they may be the shows you want to listen to, but just to give you an idea kind of um, what's resonating with other listeners. Um, the first is a show with I did with Dina Joseph, who's a chaplain in a palliative care program. Um, and just a lot of um, talk about that doorway between life and death. Uh, Amakela, a musician who uses her art for healing with refugee children worldwide. And Angelo Marandino, a photographer whose intimate portraits of his wife's cancer experience went viral on the internet, which is how I met him. My daughter sent me his incredible photo essay. So I just want to invite you to go to the page, find past shows, and look through them and see what calls to you. They're there forever. You can listen to them at any point. And um, I go back and listen because I find the people I've spoken with so inspiring. Today I've been talking with Rachel Naomi Remen, physician and healer, writer, storyteller, and founder of Commonweal, a center of healing for people with cancer. Um, I, uh, you know, I I feel so much commonality with you, Rachel, in terms oh. of <laughs> of sitting with people or being a person that's that's suffering a loss. And sitting with people that are suffering a loss and what that really is like. Uh, because, of course, um, we're, we're talking some about, for instance, in your, the story of your surgery, how very um, desperate and, and um, hopeless those places can feel at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it takes to trust that... Uh, if you stay around, you know, it might transform. And I wonder what you have to say about how we all can uh, lend ourselves to that process with people, you know, mostly as the listener, because mm-hmm. I think the griever uh, just needs an invitation, <laughs> you know, and an open place. Mm-hmm. But as listeners, what do you find has been most important in um, sitting with people? Well, you know, for me, uh, the realization 
that we are all healers. We can all heal loss just exactly as we are. We can be part of a healing process. And all we need to do is let go of the expectation that we're supposed to fix things. Mm. (laughs) Well, all we have to do. (laughs) You know, the time frame in which change is going to happen. When I was a very young therapist, I worked uh, almost exclusively with people with cancer and their families. So, I mean, loss was the, 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 the foundation of my entire practice. And as a young therapist, I, re- I remember uh, people would come in and they would have had uh, really terrible losses. I remember one young woman in particular, and I had read of this new technique, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I thought I would help. It might help her. And that was to ask her to repeat to me the story of loss, her loss. Now, people do this naturally, and a lot of people say, oh, my God, they're going to tell me the same story again. And it never goes anywhere. They're just going to tell it to me again. I can't listen to it over and over. But I was going to invite her to tell it to me over and over because it was such an enormous loss. And and I was supposed to, according to this technique, ask her for more and more detail. Every time she told me the story, I was to ask her, is there more? Tell me more. What was this like? And, and get the story over and over again, fuller and fuller and fuller. So I started doing this. And about 40 minutes into this, the story had gone from a five-minute story to a 20-minute story. Mm. And then we got to the end of the hour, and she said, thank you, and she left. And I said, I don't know about this. What did I do? If anything... She she's going to feel worse because she's going deeper and deeper and deeper into this loss, right? Mm. And she came back the next week, different. And I said, how are you? And she said, I want to thank you for the last session. She said, before the session, the story of my loss stood between me and everybody else. It stood between me and life. Oh. And I couldn't live because the story of this loss was between me and life. But then you put me into the story. So it wasn't between me. I was in it. And I was in it and I remembered all sorts of things and I got in it more and more deeply. And then somehow, in some way, it ended up being behind me. I wasn't in it anymore. It was behind me. Mm-hmm. And it's going to help me to love better, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. So when people sort of, um, we think people, oh my God, they're going to tell us this victimized story again and again and again. And, you know, I just got to cut this off. Try not cutting it off. Try mm-hmm. just simply listening and asking more and more questions. People need their, to be able to tell their story over and over and over again because otherwise it's between them and life. They need to tell it over and over and over again and in that process they put it behind them and it becomes the source of their compassion, their kindness to other people and their ability to listen to somebody else tell the story of a Mm -hmm. lot over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So we transform people who are victims into healers. 
by listening to them tell their story. And of course, that has the capability, I, I imagine, of transforming the listener because yeah. if, you're not, if you're not willing to actually embrace that place, in other words, if you're not willing to grieve yourself, yes. I, I think you simply won't be able to do it. Yes. yes. <laughs> you yes. know, something, you know, will, something you will cut it off in you. Loss is, is sort of un-American, you know. Um, we're ha- a nation of havers. Uh, we're not a nation of losers. We, in fact, we even say loser as a pejorative. He's a real loser, right? But the fact is that loss is part of life, and it's part of a growth process. It can become part of a growth process. And, we, and that the healing doesn't take away the memory. It doesn't take away the loss. What it does is transform the pain into Mm-hmm. And that is the healing. And we can do that by simply listening, not saying, oh, that happened to me once. No, not at <laughs> all. Simply receiving without any kind of judgment what another person needs you to witness. So they're not alone with this thing, and they can let go of it and put it into their past, where it becomes woven into the person who they are. You know, there's that whole idea of uh, the broken places where the light shines through. Isn't it? Uh, And uh, so it occurs to me that, and I'm thinking of myself and the times that I've sat with people in in deep, deep um, pain and suffering um, from various causes, because I think there are a tremendous number of different griefs, and how... At a certain moment, if they're being present with it and I'm being present with it, it's very sacred. It is sacred. I, you know, truly, it is just that kind of an experience. It's a bit beyond the ordinary world. Exactly. I can sometimes even feel that in my body. You know, I'll mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. have flutters all over myself because mm-hmm. there's the presence of something that's really beyond. We're, we're connected to the universal because, of course, everyone is mm-hmm. vulnerable to those mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. And You've everyone had that is, too, I, I'm is sure. able to do that growth as well. Most everyone is able to do that growth. Yes, it's I, I right did. support. I, you know, I did um, capture a quote from your book, Life Offers Its Wisdom Generously, Everything Teaches, Not Everyone Learns. <laughs> and and that, that is the most, uh, mystifying, <laughs> the most mystifying phenomenon because, mm-hmm. of course, we also can't go in saying, if I just listen, 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 this person's going to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really up to us. Mm-mm. It's not up to us. We create a container that makes growth possible. What allows and prevents growth may be something very different from that. But we create with impeccability a container of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's healing. It's so healing. I, I have the frequent experience of being asked what I do and I will say I'm a grief counselor and um, but, you know, many, many times the response has been, oh, that must be so hard. It must be so difficult. And, 
<laughs> and my response is all, all, always, it's my favorite work. Yeah, and of course, um, people look at you quite funny, right? Quite I, funny. I, also, I often say it's very inspiring. <laughs> very inspiring. I know. And then, uh, you know, over the years, I've, I've figured out short ways to explain, you know, why, it, why, why it's my favorite. And I think it comes down to what we're talking about, um, the invitation to go into a transformative place with somebody that sometimes people who are grieving um, allow more than other people. Yes. Because they kind of don't have a choice, (laughs) you know. It is intimate. It's a very intimate space, grief. Very, And you know, the interesting thing, when you listen to people tell their story over and over, what they discover is a meaning in their story that they hadn't really realized before. Something about who they are, their capacity to love, their compassion, the fact that they are loved. As they tell the story with greater and greater detail, they discover a hidden meaning, which is really there, but they hadn't read it before. And it's intimate. Loss is, loss is vulnerability, and vulnerability is intimacy. Absolutely. Intimacy. Yeah. And, and it, it, uh, you know, although I'm not sharing the details of my experience, it is also intimate for me as the yes, listener. Indeed. Yeah. A yeah. very, yeah. very intimate place to um, agree to hold someone's hand in that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's quite an honor. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I think of it to myself, quite an honor. I feel honored by it, too. I feel honored to be trusted mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. these stories and these people, that they trust me. Such a simple thing. I, I did a workshop once with someone from West Africa, and he said that his elders would say, he'd describe the way we grieve here by and large, and they'd say, why would such a smart people give up their grief? <laughs> why would they think I that you have to grieve alone? Right? Yeah. <laughs> why would they think that being alone is the best way to grieve? Yeah. Yes, exactly, oh and, and not cry and sit still mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, I... I I want to end with this beautiful quote I took from your book that I think um, really sums up our conversation in some sense. The way we deal with loss shapes our capacity to be present to life more than anything else. So thank you for that. And, and myriad other um, things that you've said that stick with me. Thank oh. you really for, so much for being here today. It's an honor and a pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you, Cheryl. Yeah. For inviting me. I hope we stay in touch. We listeners, will. <laughs> listeners, this Friday, June 27th at 9 a.m. Pacific, the tables will be turning on me when I'm interviewed on Murmuration, Critical Transitions and Transformations, another Voice America show. I'll be talking about my experiences both as a griever and as a grief counselor. Please join me and host Stacy Starling for that conversation. Next week, I'll be back with another episode of Good Grief when I welcome Nancy Sobolia, a filmmaker and therapist whose work, including the film The Gifts of Grief, comes from her own experiences losing her father at 17 and what she's experienced with her clients. Thanks so much for listening today. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.